Well, I, I think that, you know, and we could be talking about public speaking right now, doing a presentation, you know, for the C-suite at your company or in front of a client, but things that would typically create a lot of stress in us, you know, and a lot of anxiety because I need to perform. And, yeah. and what I have found, and, and would love your take on this, is that when I've got enough structure, to your earlier point, to kind of know what the beginning, the middle, and the end looks like, mm -hmm. and therefore yeah. I can kind of find where I'm at on the map. That way I won't get lost. But yeah. I am not so wound up about being perfect because that is a huge stress inducer for me. That's for most people. It, it, it actually reduces my less content, but mm -hmm. just enough structure actually makes me more relaxed than being like scripted for, you know, 10,000 words. I, I, I could not agree more. Uh, absolutely. So I, I always tell people, you know, this structure, I know it seems it's, by the way, it's simple to understand. It's difficult to do. <laughs> I'll say that again. Conceptually, very simple to understand. Rule three. That's great. Uh, but to do it and to do it naturally is not always the easiest thing to do. That's why it takes, it does take a little bit of practice. Uh, to get very good at this. One of the things I point out is that when you go off on a tangent uh, and you're you're doing improv in the middle of your presentation, you're connecting with your audience, you got them, you know, you, you've got this uh, wonderful um, time going along there. And out of when you finish, the next thing you do is you say, and thirdly, and you go on with your talk and as if you had worked that piece in completely uh, and planned it. Uh, and in fact, it was very improvisational. So that's what we're, we're looking to do. Well, you know, back on the point that you were making a moment ago about this is kind of easy to say, hard to do. The benefit mm -hmm. of that for me, though, is it forces me to get my thoughts organized. And because I'm now invested in that organization of those thoughts, it's mm -hmm. been internalized in me. And I, yep. I'm less dependent on notes in a script yep. because yep. I've internalized sort of the through line, you know, what, what's the narrative here? Yep. And you want to be crisp, you know, and I tell people, I do want you to practice, uh, practice. You do have to practice, no, no doubt. Uh, to the point where you're just crisp. You just know when I see this slide, I do this, I do this, I do yes. this next slide. I do this, I do this, I do this. But every time you give the talk, the words are a little bit different. What you've practiced, to your point, Bob, is the structure. And I, I always say, you know, you can put threes within threes. And then with the threes within threes, you can flesh those out with statistics, facts, figures, charts, uh, visuals, video, you know, just go wild. But do it all within the context of something that we can track as an audience. I, I was working with uh, an executive at a medical company, and she, she was going before the FDA, and she had like a two-hour talk with 60 points. And when I got done with her, she still had a two-hour talk, but it was broken down into threes. So it was all that information was just chunked into three main sections so we can track with what she was talking about. Well, one last example that I'll give just on this threes that for people that might be listening that are interviewing in job search and get the dreaded, tell me about yourself. One of the yeah. reasons that people ask that question, because it's very open-ended, it's, you know, mm -hmm. there's not a, a right answer to it. It's part of, but part of the test is communication skills. It's a wide yeah. open question. How well can you communicate? And what we teach folks is, you know, 
Mike, would it be helpful if I told you just a little bit about me personally, how that's played out in my career so far, and then how that's yep. informed what I'm looking for? Would, would that be a helpful structure? Nobody's ever said no to that. And then, and then, but then now there's three. Let me tell you a little bit about myself, how that's played out in my career thus far, and how that's informing what I'm looking for and why I think I'd be a great fit here. And yep. people are like, wow, that was cogent. It was compelling. It's convincing. Yep. And yep. people gravitate to that. So it, it's a very broad use case for your rule of three that mm -hmm. a lot of people will need at some point in their career. Of just being able to answer a very simple question, tell me about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and then you could also, it doesn't have to be rigid. Sometimes you have two points. Sometimes you have four. Nobody cares, but roughly three is what uh, people tend to remember. So, yeah. Okay. Can you talk about when we're actually making some of these points? And you you alluded to it a minute ago where you said, well, you know, you can have three points under three points, and maybe it's evidence and facts and statistics, but just the um, sort of the value and the place for objective evidence versus subjective evidence. Yeah, great question, Bob. So so if you're talk if you're doing a longer talk, uh, you know, not just a one minute, you know, talk with the client, uh, if you're doing more of a five, 10, 20 minute talk, I recommend designing it. I, I call it audience centric design. And that is going back mm -hmm. to your curiosity, Bob. If you've done your your due diligence and you really understand where people are coming from, what you do there is you just do a take yourself through a process. All right. Given this client, given this customer, what are their main concerns? What are their main goals? What are their main priorities? And just brainstorm those out. Get those down on a piece of paper, six, seven, eight, ten, whatever. Whittle that down uh, by combining ideas. And once you whittle that down, then rank it from most important to them, not you, to them, to least important. And then you come up with this really cool structure uh, that is tailored for that specific audience. So the first thing out of your mouth is exactly what's on their mind. I mean, it is, talk about being a breath of fresh air. It's like, oh, you're going to make this all about me? Man, that, how about it? What do you got? Uh, so audiences love that. So then once you get that overall structure correct, then you can use the structure within the structure. So for each of those main points, can almost treat them like their own little presentation. So given this topic, I'm going to talk about this, this, this. And then with those points, you can flesh those out with, uh, I talk about object, well, going back to Aristotle, I don't want to get too complicated here, but uh, Aristotle said you can have an argument based on logos, pathos, or ethos. Logos is logic, uh, pathos is passion, ethos is ethics or credibility. And so I call it objective evidence, which is kind of leaning toward the, uh, the logos, the logic mm -hmm. uh, type of evidence. And that can be facts and figures, charts, graphs, tables, uh, even word clouds, videos. It's, it's measurable. It's observable. It's, you know, provable. Can you manipulate it? Of course you can, but it's pretty straightforward for the most part. So I call that objective evidence. So with the nine sub points, you can flesh it out with objective evidence. On the other hand, you can also flesh it out with subjective evidence. And subjective evidence is you've got a sample size of one. So you've lost your uh, your logic. You've, you can't lean on logic here because you have a it's one person's opinion. And it can be in the form of an example, a story, 
a testimonial, you know, something like that, uh, a quote. These are all subjective forms of evidence. So if you go back to Aristotle, I do think he was correct, obviously. Uh, I can't base that on logic, but I can base it on passion and or credibility. I've got the pathos and ethos. So what I say is if you're going to go the subjective route, which I find just as powerful, if not more powerful than the objective uh, route, you have to have a tremendous amount of um, credibility or the ethos piece and or passion. Like you really believe what you're talking about. So an example was, you know, I gave you that Warren Buffett quote before, right? And I always ask my class, you know, Warren Buffett has a tremendous amount of what? And everybody's like money. Well, beside money, he has a tremendous amount of credibility. So we take this one guy's opinion as a fact because of his elevated credibility. Does that make sense? Very much so. And, you know, I come from a consumer insights background for the, you know, 20 something years. And, you know, a big piece of learning is we're pretty emotional critters who backfill a lot of our decisions with rational you know, belief mm-hmm. or some type of rational evidence to justify something that's more, as you say, more might be more pathos driven, but I need some logos to protect my ego <laughs> of why I made this decision, right? Um, and so people are, people are funny, but you know, we are very emotional and to to just try and rely solely on logic is two-dimensional at best. It's very black and white and it really yep. misses the human element. And yep. we, we can get excited about things that we may not have a lot of evidence for, but, but we uh, just, you know, yeah. absolutely. And I say, Bob, um, mix it up, mix it up, throw in your, throw in your statistics, facts, figures, but also weave in a story, which um, has an emotional appeal, which is the pathos, which you're talking about, or weave in an example with details, a real example, not a hypothetical philosophical one, but something where, you know, here's what really happened. And people walk away with these things. Um, and it's a very persuasive way to speak, but I say mix it up. Why not? Well, on the ethos part, um, there's a, a sales technique. I, I, if I can use that word in a, in a nice way um, mm-hmm. where it's, it's, the customer has an objection so say it's mm-hmm. the CFO, you're, you're trying to get yep. budget on something. It could be your spouse or where you go to dinner tonight. It could be whatever it is that you know, you're know you trying to communicate and, and persuade is feel, felt, found. And you've been in sales for a long time, so I suppose you might know this one. But it's validating their feelings first. You know, like, well, mm-hmm. that, that, that's, that costs too much money. You know, Mike, mm-hmm. I, I totally understand how you feel. So I heard you. Yeah. You know, yep. And in fact, we have a, a number of our other CFO clients initially felt mm-hmm. the same way. So you're validating it. Yep. So, so you're not the only one. You're not crazy. Right. But what they found was that the mm-hmm. ROI for this, the, the whatever yep. the, the, the higher proof point is. And again, that may yep. be subjective or objective evidence. Yep, exactly. Right? They were happier. Or they made more money. Like, well, okay, well, which one? But, but, but I understand how you feel. I'm going to. Warren mm-hmm. Buffett felt the same way. But what he found mm-hmm. was, well, Warren Buffett's yep. in of one. It's not like the whole world, or you know, like there's this giant body of evidence. But here's a credible person. But feel felt found is a very interesting way to acknowledge 
what the other person is saying and to to be empathetic to I'm I'm not all the way with you yet, but I'm mm-hmm. listening. Absolutely. And the byproduct of doing the, the, the feel and felt part well, which is leaning into that curiosity, really actually genuinely caring, uh, really trying to understand where they're coming from. The byproduct of that due diligence is credibility. People will see that you're sincere. They will see that you're a serious person. Then when you do go to provide the evidence via the found part, which is you can use statistics, facts, figures, and all that, or you can tell a story, or you can give an example, um, then they're much more likely to take that in, to your point, Bob. But if you didn't do that first piece, you know, you don't necessarily have the credibility, uh, even though you're going to throw a bunch of stuff at people. Right. Uh, and yeah, so that's that's why you want to do that. Absolutely. Now, you, you shared a formula with me on uh, what creates an accepted fact um, mm-hmm. with claims and evidence. Do you mind sharing that with folks? Yeah, I, I say, uh, you know, we, we've talked about the structure, but now how do you actually prove what you're saying? And I say a claim plus evidence equals an accepted fact. I'll say that again. You make a claim and then you provide evidence and that becomes an accepted fact. And once again, the the evidence is it can be objective evidence or it can be subjective evidence. And you just, uh, in my opinion, you want to get very good at both and just read situations. What's the appropriate um, what's the, what's this situation calling for? And sometimes yeah. it's to tell a story. Sometimes it's to give an example. Sometimes it's to reference a statistic, fact, figure, or a quote, like I did, you know, with the Warren Buffett. And so we spend a lot of time talking about the structure of the communication, but then there's the actual delivery, the performance, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Could you, could you maybe offer some insight on that? Yeah, you bet. Uh, I would say, you know, the, the first thing I start with performance is let's talk about nervousness because that's going to affect all your performance. So I always ask, you know, who gets nervous here? And if everybody's hand doesn't go up in the class, I say, okay, you, you your hand didn't go up. Come on, come on up to the front of the class. They're like, oh, no, 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 it went up. No. It went up. <laughs> <laughs> so we all get nervous. Uh, I don't know about you, Bob. I get nervous. Uh, I've known people that have been speaking for 40 years. They get nervous. So um, I put up a, uh, in the class, I put up a, poster of Gandhi and Abe Lincoln and, you know, JFK and uh, Winston Churchill and Lady Gaga. They, I'm, I ask, what do these people have in common? Horrible stage fright, horrible nervousness. Really? So I say, if you get nervous, you're in good company. So don't really just relax uh, with it. And, you know, I don't want to go into, you know, too much detail with this, but I would say the biggest thing to mitigating nervousness is, to understand people are thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about us and um, they're thinking about themselves. So at, be generous, make it, provide something of value. And I say, stop trying to perform, stop trying to entertain and actually educate, give people something of value. They're listening to so they can take something of value. And when you change your intention from performing or impressing to actually giving something like, you know, we we're talking about, about generosity, the, the nervousness kind of evaporates. Uh, so, I mean, there's a whole bunch of other things you can do for nervousness, but having that intention of I'm here to serve, I'm here to be generous. In my experience, that kind of makes the nervousness just kind of evaporate. 
Well, so. that, that's what I'm saying. If I'm not trying to impress, I'm not trying right. to perform. Uh, your your thing about you know people not thinking about you. Uh, I think this is right, but it's an Eleanor Roosevelt quote. It basically goes something along the lines of, "You wouldn't worry so much about how much what people are thinking about you if you knew how little they do." So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, I got to, I'm going to take that for my class. That's awesome. I have one where it's uh, when you're 20, uh, you care about what everyone thinks. When you're 40, you stop caring about what everyone thinks. And when you're 60, you realize no one was ever thinking about you in the first place. So I would say, I would say yeah, Mike Foley, demotivational speaker. Nobody cares about you. No, I didn't say that. Uh, your loved ones adore you and care about you. Beyond that, though, we all got bigger fish to fry. We're all thinking about how can I take this information and use it. Uh, so given that as kind of the foundation of the performance skills, then, you know, we can get into the details of stance, eye contact, gestures, movement, all that. Uh, and I do go into that, but I spend on a, you know, a five week course, I spend 10 minutes on that stuff. Why? Because really? I have found 10 minutes, 10 minutes. And the reason being, yes, obviously there's certain things you want to do with performance skills, but what I have found is if you are organized internally and you have the right intention, this stuff starts happening naturally. Like I didn't, this weird gesture I just did like this. I didn't plan that. Uh, so I, I say, don't think about your gestures. Don't think about this stuff. If there's something annoying for us, we'll point it out for you uh, to, you know, stop doing that. But what I have found is if you are really invested in your audience, taking away your message and giving them something of value, your eye contact, your gestures, your voice inflection, all of this starts kind of falling into place naturally, and that's what connects with an audience. So, okay, so rule of four. Um, yeah, we we talk about the four C's, which is mm. fictions, which is authenticity. It, it, this is what I truly, truly believe. I've got conviction about this. Yeah. Leads Perfect. to clarity. So, kind of yep. blocks out the stuff that isn't important. It's lesser or just not true. So yep. convictions lead to clarity. Clarity leads to confidence. When I yep. genuinely believe, I sit experience. up straighter, I modulate differently, I make better yep. eye contact, I smile. I'm not rushed in what I'm trying to do. I'm not making up answers that I hope this is mm -hmm. what you want to hear, but I'm yep. confident. And the fourth C in that is confidence is contagious. When you believe, yep. you make me believe. Yep. And if, when it's not grounded in conviction, you know, it's like, well, what does this person want me to say? Like, I'm trying to guess what I think the right answer is for her instead of what I know is true for me. And she may mm -hmm. accept or reject my conviction. That's a different topic. But yep. at least I'm being genuine and, and speaking from a place of conviction. I, I own my answer here. I own my presentation. And, mm -hmm. and that's what leads to that confidence which is yep. what dials off the nervousness because you've taken the pressure off because no is an acceptable answer. Yeah. And you're just there to serve. Absolutely. I really like that. That's, that's awesome. Uh, so going back to the confidence uh, it's a zero sum game is what you're saying, Bob zero sum game. Meaning if I'm confident, you'll be confident. And one of the things I say in the class is you have to understand if you're up here miserable doing the presentation we are miserable as your audience. If you're up here, <laughs> it's harsh realities in the class. Uh, if you're up here confident and actually enjoying the process, 
we're enjoying the process. If you're up here pretending that you're having a good time, but you're miserable, we're miserable. All right. So, so it's like a zero sum game. And I say, you know, if, you know, take Bob here. So Bob is going to come up and give a talk to the class at the end of his talk. We're all going to get quizzed on his content. And what we all get on that quiz as an average is the average percent that Bob is going to get of his salary for the next 12 months. So I'll say that again. So however we do on that quiz, Bob, is going to be that percent of your salary that you're going to get for the next 12 months. So instantly people start laughing because how would Bob speak if that was the case? And what would happen, Bob, is just you'd be so into making sure the audience, now listen, you got to get this piece. And that desire, that intention of really wanting the audience to understand where you're coming from drives your gestures, your voice inflection, your eye contact. Mm -hmm. And you are so not thinking about yourself. You are really thinking like, like I just said, really, I didn't want to do that. (laughs) Really wanting your audience to get it. And I, I personally think that's what takes someone from a, a good speaker to a truly exceptional speaker. And it's not about not, not having a couple of ums or ahs or yes, we want to minimize those things, but it is about people walking out with your message. And if your message, if we walked out with your message, Bob, and you had 10 people there, your idea is magnified by 10 people, hundred people, thousand people, 10,000 people. And that goes circles back to what, we started the the conversation with is your professional powers. How powerful are your ideas getting across to the audience? And are they walking out with these ideas? And that's the thing that we, we, if we can really focus on that, that's the thing that's Mm going to really make a difference for each of us. Well, I I can't think of a better way to, to put a bow on that. And I I like how you said that with that. That's our power. And, and you can own it and everybody can own you're good at something. And now how do you, you know, bring those emotional intelligence skills to communicate and persuade to advance what you believe? Authentically and bring what you have to offer in a generous way so people can take it in. That's it's it's, uh, you know, blocking and tackling. Not, but but it's all good. I mean, th- this is what I love about what the, what you're sharing, and why I'm so happy to have you on, is mm-hmm. you know kind of on the ethos side of this. Those are good qualities. There, there's no ill will. There's no selfishness. There's no what do I get out of this? It's yeah. it's, it's grounded in people. Pick up on that, Bob. They they yeah. they absolutely do. So, well, you might win in the short term sometimes. Sometimes. Yep. But in the long run, the person who's adopting the model that you're advocating, yeah, I, I think I'm old enough now to see that that's who ends up winning the game. Absolutely. And and while we have all been out there in the world a long time, I mean, kids pick up on this, Bob. I mean, you, five-year-olds understand authenticity. I mean, that's what's, you know, and we haven't lost that as adults. It's still there. So I I, I don't think you get away with those manipulative techniques that are being taught in certain circles. Um, let me give an example. So, you know, this is 15, 20 years ago, I was, you know, a long day, I did taught a class and I picked my daughter up. And I, at the end of the day, after talking all day, it's just, ugh, I can barely get a sentence out. And I 
pick my daughter up, Megan, and we're driving along. And I'm like, hey, Meg, how was your day? Good, good, good. How was your teacher, Miss Honey? Good, good, good. How's recess? Good, good, good. How's your friend, Sally? Good, good, good. And she interrupts me, Bob, and says, Daddy, you keep asking questions and you're not listening to anything I say. And I was like, oh, busted so by a six-year-old, you know? And, uh, and because I wasn't being authentic, I was just asking questions and not really listening. And so my point is if a six-year-old can pick on, pick up on uh, manipulation or techniques like that, then we can as, an, as you know, adults. And so it comes back to that authenticity once again. Curiosity, authenticity, seek to help. Those sound like good life lessons to me that might find their way into a PowerPoint at some point or in, into a yeah. talk. Hey, those are very good. <laughs> I can't help it. So uh, this has been wonderful, Mike. Thank you so, so much. If people want to learn more about um, Clarity Central, how do they do that? Just go to my website, uh, www.claritycentral.net. Uh, so, and everything's right there. Cool. And we'll, we'll put that up on the on the screen. There we go. So claritycentral.net. Um, I can't strongly recommend enough uh, engaging with you and the things that you're teaching people. I've learned a lot. And uh, plus, you're just a nice person. So it's, it's been great to spend some time with you. Good luck with sailing. That's exciting. And uh, I'll look forward to seeing some notes along the way about uh, an amazing trip. All right. Sounds great, Bob. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening today. And uh, tune in next week where we've got another amazing guest coming. But I hope you have a wonderful and blessed week. Thank you. I know you're going to find it. You've got